taxonomy is part of helping an organization tell their audience what's important to them, what are they all about, what do they cover, and what language is being used in that organization that crosses a lot of different channels. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Managing content well and communicating effectively with audiences are two key competencies needed by a learning business that wants to thrive, and taxonomies and metadata can play an important role in both. Stephanie Lemieux is an information management consultant specializing in taxonomies and metadata. Educated as a librarian, Stephanie is now president and principal consultant at Dovecot Studio, which helps organizations optimize the way they structure and manage their mission-critical content. Stephanie and Jeff talk about what taxonomies are and the negotiation that has to take place between an organization and its audience to create an effective taxonomy. They also discuss the role of taxonomy in search, findability, integration, analytics, and personalization, And they talk about how content has gotten more targeted and more granular in Stephanie's years of work. They also touch on artificial intelligence and how AI and machine learning can both benefit from and contribute to tagging and taxonomies. Jeff spoke with Stephanie in April 2023. Can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you do. Absolutely. So this is a relatively newish profession in the sense of the digital world. Taxonomies and metadata became very much in vogue kind of as e-commerce took off and people became much more familiar with needing to look through complicated structures of products and use filters to find what they were looking for. And that translated pretty seamlessly over into the corporate world where there is also tons and tons of content. So taxonomies is really all about controlling and creating structures around terminology so that people can apply labels, apply structure to content and be able to better find that content when they're working on things. So we help our customers who span a very wide range of different types of industries understand their audience's language, their information needs, and how to make the connection between the two. And taxonomies are really part of the whole interface between the collection and the user, helping to negotiate the conversation between the two. And they get implemented in things like content management systems, search interfaces, and lots of other different types of use cases. I think most leading learning listeners are going to be familiar with with a term like taxonomy. Maybe they've been through some sort of taxonomy project before, but I don't want to make too many assumptions. I know I I don't consider myself an expert in in taxonomy, but I think of it as having to do with with tagging, with coming up with the right terms to describe content information and then being able to use that in meaningful ways. Can you talk a little bit more about exactly what a taxonomy is and, and what goes into creating a a taxonomy? Yeah, definitely. We still have lots of people who ask, what is a taxonomy? And it's a word that can sound complicated, but really all it means is a structure of 
words. And what's important about those two things is that it's not just any structure, it's a structure that has been agreed upon by a community or a set of people who share some kind of a mental model. And the words part is that it's agreed upon and controlled words. So we are choosing what words we are going to use to describe our content and organizing those words into a structure that makes sense to the people who are going to be using the content. Most organizations have more than one taxonomy. So if you think about in an e-commerce perspective, for example, you've got the type of product that it is. You might have the size, the color, the brand. So any time where you have terminology that needs to be harmonized and you need to have a single way of talking about things so that you can get everyone to the same place, that's where taxonomy comes into play. And the structure part comes into play when you are exposing that taxonomy to people and asking them to navigate. So you can put those terms into some kind of a hierarchical order if there's sort of a grouping that you want to use to get all the appliances together and to get all the shoes together. Uh, You can do lots of grouping, but you can also have different vocabularies playing at the same time. And we call this faceted taxonomy. And this is becoming more and more popular outside of e-commerce, so in a corporate context as well. And you made an important point there around this needing to be a, a set of language, basically, that, that people have to agree to, that the, the, the people who are involved have to uh, agree to. Can, can you talk a little bit about that process of sort of getting a group to the point where you've, you've defined the terminology and, and have gotten people to agree that this is, in fact, what we need to be using as, as in describing whatever it is we're talking about, as you said, the shoes or, or you know, <laughs> other products? Yeah, and that's probably the most fun and interesting part of taxonomy work, actually, is that whole negotiation process. And if you think about an organization, and this can be any kind of organization, any kind of corporate entity and its audience trying to have a conversation together. So if I'm a professional association of tax accountants, let's say, (laughs) I'm creating content, I'm creating articles, I'm creating learning material, and I want to publish this content to that audience. I need to use terminology and I need to organize this content in a way that makes sense to my audience. So getting agreement within the association of the people creating the content is one part of it. But then marrying that up to the terminology that makes sense to the audience and getting some kind of harmonization between the two lenses is where it gets a little bit crunchy, but also very interesting. So a big part of our work is understanding what kind of content is being created and what kind of language is coming out of that content kind of naturally by the content creators. What kind of language is used by the organization and do they want to use to portray the kind of content that they have or the kind of areas that they cover? But then very importantly is what kind of language is the audience using and expecting? What kinds of things are they searching for in Google? What kinds of things are being talked about in the industry at large? Because you don't want to be making up terminology that makes sense to no one, and you don't want to be invisible on your little corner of the internet. So there's that negotiation that has to happen between those three lenses. Mm. So it sounds like you probably do have to do a certain amount of um, outreach to your audience to, to understand how they're actually thinking about what you offer if they were going to go search your website or whatever, what 
what would they actually put in to potentially get them to whatever you're offering? Yeah, absolutely. We, we start most of our projects with a little bit of user research. So that may be direct user research where we actually talk to a focus group or run some interviews with some representative folks who have volunteered to, to chat with us. This can be pretty easy if, you know, it's a membership type organization, they can just pull some, some members. But, you know, it could be customers, it could be anywhere where you have access to a group of consumers of the content. But you can also kind of get indirect user research by looking at things like search logs. So if you have a search engine on your website, if that's how people are interacting with your content, people are typing in things. And what they type in is usually pretty reflective of what they're thinking about and, and how they might be talking about a particular subject. And you can also get glean that kind of context from even forum posts or other ways that your user base is interacting with you or interacting with the rest of their peers or the industry in, in public spheres. Mm. And how does taxonomy relate to what I think is maybe a, a bigger or more umbrella term like information architecture on the one hand, and then maybe what I think is maybe a, I think is maybe a narrower term. You can correct me if I'm wrong around something like digital asset management, which I know a lot of organizations are very concerned about. No, and I like how you're putting it into a hierarchy here, broader and narrower terms. That's perfect taxonomy. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, it's definitely part of information architecture. So if information architecture is all about structuring and organizing information in some kind of a presentation vehicle, so whether that be a website or information portal internally or any kind of content consuming application, it's, you know, how do I chunk and architect information in a way that makes sense to people? How do I present things to show them what's more important, what's less important? How can I give them navigation options? So how do I present to them a menu that makes sense to them? The taxonomy can be a very important part of an information architecture. So if you've got navigation, the taxonomy can show up as part of your navigation. The taxonomy can also feed into how and where content gets presented in an interface. So if you've got content that has taxonomy applied to it through tags, then you can say, I want to put a box on my landing page that shows the most recent news articles that we've published on these topics or for this country, depending on where the user is coming from. So the taxonomy can help direct content and help get people get the content. And it's also very often seen in search information architecture as well. So you'll see it as faceted filters or as other kinds of related content as part of page design. Now, when it comes to digital asset management, that's one application of taxonomy. So digital asset management is just the management of videos and images and other kind of media objects. And there, taxonomy takes on even more importance because those media assets don't tend to have a lot of text native to them. So they're, they're visual imagery or their audio files. So you have to put more effort into the structure of data that you put around those assets to make those assets findable and put them into a context where they're reusable by uh, the folks that need to use them in content. As someone who listens to the Leading Learning Podcast, you should know about the Leading Learning Newsletter 
which you can subscribe to at leadinglearning.com inbox. The newsletter is Inbox Intelligence for learning businesses and helps you understand the latest technology, marketing, and learning trends and grow your learning business. Best of all, it's a free resource. As a subscriber, you get Leading Links, our monthly curated collection of resources to help you grow the reach, revenue, and impact of your learning business. The Podcast Digest, a monthly summary of podcast episodes released during the previous month, plus periodic announcements highlighting leading learning webinars and other educational opportunities designed to benefit learning business professionals. Subscribe for free at leadinglearning.com inbox. And if you're already subscribed, point a colleague to leadinglearning.com inbox. I'd love to hear about what kind of a, a relatively typical sort of client engagement looks like for you. I assume a client has some sort of, you know, information content challenge that the taxonomy, applying metadata, all of those things are going to, to help with. So what, what is that? What are some common situations that you might walk into? We often get presented with some kind of a technology use case. So we have just bought a fill in the blank platform mm -hmm. and it needs metadata. And part of that metadata is probably going to be some kind of taxonomy. So we get pulled into projects like implementing a digital asset management uh, system, as you were just talking about, or implementing a new web content management system, doing a website redesign. That's also a common use case. Um, new search engine, it could be internal, more internal facing things like intranets is also a big deal. And then sometimes it's a more functionally based. So we want to do a better job of findability, findability across multiple applications, or we need to do integration between our customer relationship management system and our knowledge base. And in order for those two systems to talk to each other, they need to share metadata, share tags, and be able to pass information back and forth. Another big one is personalization. So we want to understand more about who's consuming our content, and then we want to translate that back into targeted email campaigns or show them personalized content once they're signed in. So all of that is relying on these kind of metadata structures and controlled vocabularies being applied to content behind the scenes, but it touches multiple applications. So I would say those are the two big types of projects. They're either kind of single system, we're implementing a thing and we know we need taxonomy because that's part of the metadata and part of the user experience for that specific tool. Or it's taxonomy is more of an enterprise architecture component where the taxonomy is serving more of a function of unifying metadata across lots of applications or enriching the organization's ability to do something with the data or with their content, such as personalization, even analytics and reporting, any of these kind of wider functions. Mm. And I suspect our listeners are probably going to fall in, in both of those camps pretty commonly. On the one hand, they might have you know, say a learning management system or a learning content management system that is that sort of single platform that needs some some organization that goes with that. But then that's usually part of a, of a suite of different platforms that an organization will have. So they might have a, a membership management or, or, or a CRM type system. They might have a 
publications in, in another system. And they, they need some way for, you know, for example, a user on their site who maybe isn't in the learning management system right now or isn't in the publication part of the site. But if they are going to search, it needs to bring up the relevant content for their search from wherever it happens to live. That, that sounds like the type of scenario that would be kind of in your sweet spot. Absolutely. And I think that you're touching on a really important part of taxonomy, which is taxonomy is part of helping an organization tell their audience what's important to them, what are they all about, what do they cover, and what language is being used in that organization that crosses a lot of different channels. So if I, as a user, am coming to your website and then I have to log in and use your knowledge base and then I'm applying to go to one of your conferences and I'm choosing my tracks or I'm filling in my personalization, here are the topics that I'm interested in, please email me your digests every few weeks. These are all different channels and touch points which behind the scene for the organization may have lots of different applications sitting behind them, but the user has a reasonable expectation to be able to learn and understand the language being used and not have to learn new language with each new channel that they are interacting with you. So anytime we do a project, even if it is a single application being replaced, so if it's a new CRM or a new LMS or whatever, we don't want to look at taxonomy as a siloed piece of architecture that's just for that one application. So even if that is the project, we will always be looking at taxonomy across all of those different touch points with the user because we don't want the user to have to learn new lingo with each different application. If we're going to call it a car versus an automobile, we want to try to be consistent as an organization not only for the user's experience, but also for our own capability as an organization to understand our interactions with that user and gather data about it and be able to do something with that data. So if you're gathering analytics, for example, and you're gathering analytics from your CRM, from your LMS, from your conference management tool, and you have some from your membership management tool as well, if they're all using completely different metadata structures, you're gonna have more work ahead of you to be able to consolidate that information and get meaningful insights from it. Whereas if you do a little bit of legwork up front and do a little bit of harmonizing of the language and metadata architectures being used, then you can really level up your ability to understand and react to your your user base. I think that's just such an important thing. And we see it happen so often in organizations. I'm sure you've seen it too, where, you know, people are in their particular silo and they've got their particular project or initiative. They're really hunkered down on it and, and you know, trying to make it work. But yeah, they're, they're calling something one thing in another part of the organization, working on the same type of stuff and calling it something completely different. And as you said, that's going to impact the user experience dramatically, but it's also impacting your experience as an organization and what you're able to do. You know, everybody likes the idea of being able to, to use all of this data that we can get now. But if the data is like all over the map in terms of, you know, using different language for the same thing, you're going to have a really hard time doing, doing anything with that data. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny how taxonomy projects are this 
weird moment where sometimes teams within the same organization meet each other for the first time and like mm-hmm. shaking has like, Oh, I didn't know you were working on that. Here's what we're doing. And there's this wonderful exchange of, of ideas and knowledge that that happens as part of a, a taxonomy project, which is really fun to be a part of. Yeah. So a tip for anybody listening out there who, if for example, you are implementing your learning management system or implementing your learning content management system, and you're applying all of this terminology based on your competency model or whatever it is, make sure you're talking to those other parts of of your organization and that they use the the same terminology for those things so that you can provide that that great user experience and and really that personalized user experience in the end to, to get that the member, the user, the customer to the content that they really need. A lot of what we're talking about here is just around content. It's around information. Content obviously has been important since the, the beginning of the internet. It was it was important before that, but it became such a focus, you know, so so early in the internet. It's grown ex- exponentially in, in importance over time. You're always hearing content is king, content is king. You know, this, this continues to be a mantra. I, I'm wondering in in the the work that you do. What have you seen change, particularly over the past, you know, five to 10 years about content and how you have to think about content? Any Anything that's you know really different now than, than what it was 10 years ago? Yeah, I think it has changed quite a bit, actually. We went through this whole kind of micro content uh, mm. phase, and I think that fad has gone a little bit, or we're talking about it differently, but social media kind of came in and disrupted a lot of things. And So I think we're creating content differently than we used to. And content is a lot more targeted rather than this sort of large audience, long form content, one size fits all. It's a lot more granular. It's a lot more personalized. And there's a lot more needed architecturally to make those things happen. So it's no longer these monolithic websites, for example, with these the same pages that everybody sees. It's a lot more, again, targeted and, and personalized. And the content is being managed in a much more atomic way. So everything's getting carved up into smaller pieces. And those pieces are being reused across lots of different channels. So we have all these systems now that are trying to help that process of multi-channel content dissemination. And the taxonomy has become a big piece of that as well. So being able to write an article or a piece of learning content in a way that is now granular and even broken up with XML and tagged at the like paragraph level, that's a lot more popular than it it used to be. It used to be that you would only get to that level of detail if you were writing these, you know, 300 page technical manuals. But now people doing that more and more for uh, regular web and, and learning content in order to be more efficient, but also to provide a more nimble user experience and one that can more efficiently cross channels. And we're seeing this even more so now with AI becoming part of the picture and seeing chatbots and things like that. In order to make a chatbot work, you have to have a robust content collection. And that content collection has to be granular and divisible into chunks that can get tagged or can get can get some metadata so that a bot knows what to do 
with that sentence or with that small paragraph. I'm not sure if this is the right way to think about it or, or not, but it, it it seems like it's almost as much about context as it is about content because you're sort of matching. You've got to match content, content and context to get the, the sort of maximum results. Yeah, context absolutely is such a key thing more now than it used to be. So before it used to be a little bit more one size fits all, as we were just talking about. But if we've learned anything about people and language is that, you know, everyone is different, everyone thinks differently, and communities and ideas and trends can be so much more small scale, especially at the people and interests side. So we have all of these communities of interest popping up and people can be interested in very unique things. So understanding those interests at that more granular level can help you target content at the right level for the person. So that's probably been one of the areas that we've seen the most growth is using taxonomy and information and architecture a little bit more generally to help identify what people are interested in and be able to match the organization's content to those interests, not only in terms of size and structure, but also at the right channel. Mm. And it, it seems to me this is so core to realizing the potential for personalized learning, just-in-time learning, all of the things that have been buzzwords in, in the learning and development field for, for years now. You've got to be able to match content and context very flexibly, very rapidly to, to make that happen. You mentioned you know AI in this. I'd be interested to know what, what possibilities is, is AI now creating? How might it be a tool in your work going forward? And I'll say in the back of my mind, and I know just enough to be dangerous about this, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about things like, you know, the semantic web, which sort of yeah. seemed, you know, unrealizable to, to do what's necessary to have the semantic web before AI came along and potentially made it possible to help do all of the tagging and everything that would be necessary around that. Like I said, I, I know, you know, <laughs> I'm probably speaking about things I shouldn't speak about, but I'll, I'll bounce it back to you. What, what, what is AI going to help us do? I think AI is going to take a lot of the grunt work <laughs> mm. away from some of the process of setting up these architectures, certainly. We've been using ChatGBT, even in our taxonomy work, to ask it questions because it's basically read the internet, you know, to say, what would you call this group of things, but not this and maybe this? And it does a pretty good job of trying to give us answers about potential terminology, given that it has as its context and pool of resources, uh, the entire web, which is not to say that I would want Chad GPT to create a taxonomy for me, but I it's been an interesting input into our process. Generally speaking, though, the, the part about AI that's kind of fascinating is everyone seems to think that it's so magical. And when you do, you know, interface with something like ChatGPT, it can feel very magical. And behind the scenes, there is so much that's happening that is based on very rich, robust semantic frameworks that have been in the works for decades. So you've got Google, who's been working on this huge knowledge graph behind the scenes. Wikidata and Wikipedia have an enormous knowledge graph behind the scenes. And a knowledge graph is really just an architecture 
that is identifying different kinds of entities and creating relationships between those entities. And that is a necessary architecture for these types of AIs to have gotten where they've gotten today. And it's the same for internal organizations and their internal content. They have to put some legwork into their semantic framework in order to make things like chatbots and other types of internal AI work for their content. So I just want to make sure that everyone <laughs> understands that this isn't you know, a magic bullet. I'm just going right. to point chat GPT at something and it's going to solve my universe. You know, chat GPT is being trained on what's available on, on the web. And most of the time, if you're looking at internal content, you have to help any kind of AI, machine learning, or other kind of graph-based technology to understand who you are as a business, what's important to you, what are your entities, and what are the relationships between them in order to do a good job with your own content. So will AI solve everyone's problems? No, I, d I don't think so. And in order to solve some of our problems, we still need to think about what kind of semantic framework is necessary to put that AI on top of. So it doesn't absolve us of the work of having to do a little bit of taxonomy and metadata. You know, AI is getting all of the buzz right now. It's getting all of the focus, particularly ChatGPT. But are there other factors out there that you're looking at, whether technological or, or otherwise, that you think are really going to influence, shape, impact the future of information management, content management, those, those areas? We've been using an enormous amount of machine learning-based things in various parts of our work. So machine learning-based search has been a lot more prevalent where it's taking, you know, relevance to the next level, that it's not just relevance based on what you've typed, but also who you are and what other people have typed ahead of you. So enterprise search and even site search. So, you know, not, not talking about Google here, but in terms of organizations and their content, that has gotten so much better. And it is relying on taxonomies and metadata to help that machine learning learn more about the context of the users and their needs. So I've done a couple of projects now where we've been working with knowledge bases and you know call center agents that are trying to find content while they're on the phone. And the search is learning as they search and becoming even more and more powerful and understanding what kind of client they're even talking to and what kind of question they're trying to answer or what kind of topic a ticket is open for. So Search and machine learning, definitely a big area. Machine learning and, and tagging is also more and more prevalent. We have a lot more clients that have large volumes of content and not a lot of time and energy to apply metadata. So yes, they want taxonomy and yes, they want good metadata and good structured content, but they don't want people to spend an enormous amount of time doing that. So in the old days, I think auto-classification or the automatic tagging of, of content used to be mostly newspapers because they were publishing you know, hundreds of articles a day. But I'm seeing more and more auto-classification happen within organizations because it's become a little bit more easy to implement 
and more accessible. So I think those are the two big areas that we've seen a lot of machine learning happen in terms of taxonomy and metadata. Right, right. Switching gears just a little bit before we we wrap up here. Thank you for a, a great conversation around taxonomy, information architecture, all of the areas that, that, that you work in. Would love to ask about your your own approach, though, to lifelong learning, since this is a, a podcast focused on learning, and find out how do, how do you approach lifelong learning? And I'd love to know, too, if, if you have practices that would re- relate to what is often characterized as kind of personal knowledge management, PKM, you know, to organize your own information uh, over time. You know, do you have tools that you tag your own uh, information that you've collected with and make it possible to retrieve and revisit and, and that sort of thing? But just in general, how do you approach lifelong learning? I have to say that I'm very blessed and lucky to be in the discipline that I'm in because as a taxonomist, every project is so different and I get to learn about an entirely new sphere of the world. So, you know, one project will be with neurologists and talking about brains and then another project might be about taxes and another project might be about fashion. It's It's been such a, a great experience to be able to c- constantly be exposed to completely different domains of knowledge. And then from a taxonomy and information architecture perspective, that domain has evolved so much in the last 20 years. It's fun having to keep up. And especially with this whole AI thing that started maybe 10 years ago. I mean, AI started way before that, but it became kind of the the hot topic not that long ago. So I've been trying to stay up on that. And I use, you know, podcasts and, and blogs mostly, and I go to conferences as well. There have been a lot more sort of open courses that have been available so I can stay up on on top of the kind of technical parts of it. So learning new coding languages and things like that. Not that I do an enormous amount of coding as a librarian. So yeah, I would say that's been my learning approach has been just kind of trying to keep on the pulse of what's happening and regularly expose myself to new professional conferences and take a course here and there. And then from a personal knowledge management perspective, I have to say that it's a little bit more challenging as a small business. So we're not an enormous amount of people and we don't need these giant multi-million dollar software packages where which is where you have a lot of those sort of good tagging mechanisms for individuals and for small businesses it's a little bit more sparse in terms of op- options so we've actually had to create some of our own information architecture and kind of hack things like the google suite to do what we want to do in terms of managing our own small business information and personal information as well. So I'd love to see the industry get better at individual stuff, but that seems to be focusing more on the automatic, don't worry about it, Google will tag your photos for you, (laughs) Google will tag your documents or kind of tag it behind the scenes so you don't need to. So I think that would be an area that I'd like to see Mm. improve. Yeah, it's a, it's a little it's kind of the, the the scary side of the whole Google world uh, that uh, that kind of thing is happening in the background. And in a, a certain sense, it's Google and these other large companies that are sort of providing the automated structure to what we're doing. I use 
Evernote personally to, to track a lot of things. And it just occurred to me as I was listening to you talk that I have occasionally over time tried to take advantage of tagging things in, in Evernote, but I don't think I have consistency even in my own mind around what I yeah. call things. So I just like have mistagged stuff all over the place and will probably never be able to, uh, you know, yeah. f- find things that, that should be completely related, but I've called them something completely different. So. And I feel like those tools don't set you up for success, too, because I think they assume that the vast majority of people are not going to put that effort Mm -hmm. into coming up with their own personal little taxonomies. So they don't tend to be very good at prompting you and helping you follow on and be consistent in your own information organization. So. Yeah, it's it's probably not just you. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, yeah, I suspect I'm not I'm not alone in this. <laughs> Stephanie Lemieux is president and principal consultant at Dovecot Studio, an information management consultancy with extensive experience using taxonomies, metadata, and other knowledge organization systems to enhance content findability and usability. In the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 367, you'll find a link to Stephanie's LinkedIn profile and the Dovecot Studio site. Jeff and I would be grateful if you would rate the Leading Learning Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, especially if you find the show valuable, because ratings help improve our findability. And please spread the word about Leading Learning, whether in a one-on-one conversation with a colleague or a personal note or on social media. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 367, you'll find links to connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks for listening and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Podcast.